0: Welcome to Fast Fiction. The Hand There was no doubt about it, it was a hand, a woman's left hand. Dirty but smooth with bright red nail polish still unchipped. And there was a large aquamarine ring on the third finger. Brian felt a confusion of body functions, a need to be sick, or evacuate his bowels. Leaving the hand still on top of the garden incinerator, he turned and, as much as his arthritic hip would allow, hurried back along the winding path to the house. The slick nature of the path, due to recent heavy rains, hampered his progress, but the exertion made him feel better. Now that he was sure that nature's call was not his first priority, he immediately set about finding the telephone book and his reading glasses. He stood before the telephone, ready to dial, but his attention was drawn to the next-door garden. Although partly obscured by the adjoining backyard fence and bushes, Brian could see his neighbour acting decidedly oddly. Indeed, in the light of Brian's recent discovery, his actions were quite suspicious. Feeling calmer, Brian made his way back down the path, meeting up with his neighbour across the fence. Peter Shannon had been looking intently on the ground, but swung his head around towards Brian, obviously shaken with the appearance of another person.
1: uh, Oh, hello, hello, Brian. Brian, you you startled me. Didn't hear you coming, old man.
2: You're you're up early this morning. Yes. I thought I'd make a special effort at cleaning the leaves and rubbish left by yesterday's storm. Before Pat and Sylvie get home tonight, we're picking them up from the city train at 5.30, remember? Yeah, yeah, yes, that's that's right. You don't mind if you use your car. That's a switch. Usually you make a fuss at going in my old bomb. Not at all. I don't mind a bit. I guess you're doing the same thing as me then. Clearing up before Sylvia starts nagging about a dirty house and garden. Yes, yes, that's it. Well, I'm all clear over here. been working since early this morning. How are you fixed? Can I give you a hand?
1: Oh, God. You've found it, haven't you? Where is it? For Christ's sake, tell me.
2: It's in the incinerator. Jesus,
1: how did it get there?
2: Perhaps you'd better tell me.
1: Oh, I don't know. That's to say, oh, Christ, what a mess.
2: You mean you really are involved with the, the thing? What the hell has happened? Come on, let's go inside. You look as if you need a drink.
0: Picking up the lid from where it had fallen beside a shrub... Brian put it on top of the incinerator. Then he walked behind his friend back up the path. They went into the lounge together, neither thinking to wipe their feet of the heavy mud now attached to their shoes. Although still early in the morning, Brian went to the sideboard and poured out two good slugs of whiskey. Peter downed his drink in one gulp and put out his glass for more. Taking the second just a sip at a time, he began to talk. His voice high-pitched with emotion. Damn, damn, damn.
2: You'd better tell me all about it.
1: I don't know. that That's the trouble. I don't know.
2: She's dead, isn't she? The owner of the, uh, the thing. I was just about going to ring the police before I saw you. I mean, perhaps I'd better. No, no, no. Please, Brian, please. Yes, she is dead. Perhaps you'd better tell me about it. Then we'll plan what to do. I didn't kill her. Truly I didn't. I'm sure you didn't. Who was she?
1: A whore. Went by the name of Josie, but that probably wasn't her real name.
2: How the hell do you know a whore? What in Christ's name have you been up to? Well, it all started about six months ago, back in early February. Uh, Was that when your cousin died and left you that few thousand?
1: no. Yes, that was when it started, but no, my cousin didn't leave me any money, or not much anyway. I pretended it was more, but actually,
2: I won a fair bit at the pokies. Pokies? When have you ever been to the pokies? I didn't think Sylvia approved of that sort of thing.
1: Well, yes, I suppose it was when Martin died and left me that $200 that I got to thinking, you know, about mortality. What a. Done with my life, what experiences I'd had, or lack of them. Anyway, I cashed the cheque, and I in a bit of a reaction, I suppose, I went down to the RSL one night on the way home from golf. Finished up winning quite a stake. What sort of a
2: stake? Five thousand. Five thousand dollars? You didn't say a word. No, well, mate, like I said, Martin's
1: death affected me quite a bit. I mean, we were about the same age, and I got to wonder... What it would have been like without Sylvie, or if I'd had money and been able to live it up for a bit. I thought, hell, if I told her she'd not only get mad, she'd want to spell the whole bloody lot on curtains. And there's nothing wrong with the curtains we've got. I wanted to try being a bit wild for a change. So, what did you do? Well, I went on a bit of a binge. You remember when I went to that Spitfire pilot reunion last March? Well, there was no reunion. I went to Sydney and had myself a whale of a time. I booked myself into a hotel and had quite a weekend with one of those hotline numbers. You know, the ones you see advertised in the telephone boxes. Was it good? Yeah, well, I suppose so. But, see, I I got bloody drunk and then when I got sober, I got full of the guilts and couldn't... Well, you know. Well, I'd never done anything like that before. Not even before I was married. I mean, shit, Brian, I'm nearly sixteen. I'd never had another woman except Sylvia. I just wanted to know if I'd missed anything. And had you? Well, yes, in a way. It it was sort of exciting. See, I acted up as if I'd had quite a bit of money, and she acted up as if I was a real stud. Just a bit of fantasy. I really meant it to the end right there, but when, when I came back, I just couldn't settle. Life seemed so humdrum and boring, so I invented another excuse to go away. You remember my distant cousin Joe's wedding?
2: That was, what, about three months ago?
1: Yeah. Well, there wasn't any wedding. And there wasn't any Joe. I just made up an excuse to go back to Sydney and meet up with Josie again. What was she like? Looked like, you mean? Well, she was about early thirties, well built. I suppose we would have called her a tart. But that was what I wanted. I mean, I didn't want a friggin' wife substitute, did I? I suppose it was a job, really. But she made me feel good. You know, a real lover boy. I got to seeing her quite regularly, at least every few weeks. Remember my woodwork classes? Every Tuesday last summer?
2: I wondered why you'd suddenly decided to go to night school. It hadn't improved in the handyman department.
1: Well, I'd been meeting her in a motel just outside of Newcastle. Paid for her to come up on the train. Then, when the money began to run out, I knew it was about time to finish it. I explained all that to her, and she was quite good about it said we'd have one last special night. That's when I booked up for Sylvie and Pat to go to the Sydney show, for last night. I met Josie and we got really drunk together and I don't know how it happened, but... Last Tuesday, the night before last, knowing Sylvie was away, we came back here.
2: You you mean you were both next door in Sylvia's
1: bed? Christ, Brian, I was pissed... You don't think I've done it if I've been sober, do you? We were pretty far gone when we got back here. I had to keep shushing her to keep her quiet. We danced a bit and naturally finished up in bed. I suppose we had sex, though, to be honest, I can't really remember. I woke up early yesterday morning and found her lying beside me. Quite naked, quite cold and quite dead. I'm no doctor, but there was no obvious sign of anything. No murder weapon, no marks, no bruising, nothing. It just had to be a heart attack. She was always swallowing some damn pills or other.
2: You mean she was
1: on drugs then? I I dunno. So what did you do? Well, as you can imagine, it was pretty horrid. She was cold and stiff. I tried to move her, but it was very difficult and nasty. Anyway, I panicked. And although I did think of ringing the police, I decided against it. I mean, a scandal and everything. I'd be ruined. A marriage, a job, everything. My first reaction was to think there was no way she could be traced to me. After all, her beat was Sydney and we're a good 250 kilometres away. But then I remembered the ring. The the one that's out there? Yes. You, You see, I bought it for her on one of my early binges. And like an idiot, I paid for it with my credit card. You did what? I know, I know. Bloody silly. But like I say, most of the time I went up with Josie, we were drunk. Anyway, I always pay the bills. Sylvie's never balanced an account in her life. And it wasn't really expensive or anything, just a sort of romantic friendship thing. Still, I got to thinking about it and decided it was the only bit of incriminating evidence against me. And I'd better take it off. Well, why didn't you?
2: You didn't have to chop her bloody hand off, did you?
1: Yes, I did. Like I said, the joints were all stiff and the fingers were all sort of clawed up. I just went crazy, I guess. I I got one of those saws from the handyman class and...
2: Yes, yes, yes. I get the picture.
1: Well, once that was done, I wrapped her up in a tarpaulin. You know, the one we use for ground sheep when we go out camping and fishing. And somehow got her out to the car. I remember that lime pit we got bogged in on our last trip out west. So I drove over there and sank her in it. I reckon that even she was found at any time she'd be so unrecognisable she could never be traced to me. So, w- what happened to the hand? Well, of course I meant to throw that away somewhere else. But somehow, in the panic of the moment, i sort of left it behind. You did what? Oh, right, all right. I know it was slack, but I'm not exactly used to this sort of thing, you know. I don't make a habit of chopping up dead bodies and disposing of them. Maybe if I did it again, I'd do it better. Anyway, when I got to the pit I rolled Josie out of the cover and of course realised that the hand was missing. And I also realised I'd forgotten to bring her clothes too. They were safe enough for the time, still back here, but I actually remembered packing the hand into the tarpaulin so it must have dropped out while I was dragging the load out to the car. By the time I realised my mistake and got back here it was pouring with rain and pitch black dark and I couldn't find it. "'I managed to pack the clothes up and put them into the incinerator last night. "'I even tried burning them, but everything was so wet "'I just couldn't get the fire lit properly. "'I thought I'd just wait till it was light "'and come out and search for the hand in the garden "'while the clothes were burning this morning. "'Which I did. "'But you found it first.
2: "'I came out early to rake up the leaves "'and must have picked it up along with all the rubbish "'I was putting in the incinerator.' It was only the damned stone glinting that took my attention. Dear God. Well, I suppose we'd better get on with ringing the police.
1: What? No, no, no. Why do we have to call the police, for Christ's sake?
2: Because we just do. Because if you're not guilty of anything, they won't do anything.
1: Sure, mate, sure. Like Sylvie won't mind me having the last few months rave with a call girl. She won't object to me spending $5,000 on a bimbo instead of her frigging curtains. Like the police won't react to the fact that I dispose of a body without asking commission?
2: And whilst we're on the subject, how will he find the body anyway?
1: Who's going to tell them where it is?
2: I am. I'll just tell them exactly what you've told me. I'm sorry, Pete, but I've got to do my civic duty. Else I'd be a conspirator to the crime, or whatever as they call it. But there's been no bloody crime! All right, I believe you. But we still can't just pretend nothing has happened.
1: Why not? God almighty, I tell you, mate, my life's on the line here. My job, my marriage, my
2: home, our friendship. But Pete, what if they do find the body? And what if they do trace it to you? It'll look so bad for you. They'd just think the woman had been trying to blackmail you or something. But what if it wasn't me? What if it had been you? What do you mean me? (laughs) I had nothing to do with it. You're the one winning all the money and keeping it a secret and going off with whores on the quiet. You're the one who's been deceptive and not let anyone know what you've been up to.
1: That's right, pal. That's right. I did everything secretly. Nobody knew what I was up to. Nobody's ever known. There's no proof.
2: You're the only one I've told. So, what does that mean? You're going to kill me now. Is that what you're saying? I never killed anybody
1: and I'm not going to kill you, mate. What I'm saying is that everything that's happened to me could have equally happened to you. And if the body ever was found and the police ever did make any inquiries, it would simply be my word against yours. (laughs)
2: That's ridiculous. It's preposterous to think I would ever do anything like that to Pat, for one thing. Any more than me to Sylvie? Anyway, I haven't had the opportunity.
1: Just as much as me, mate. You have... When I went to carpentry, you started power-walking, remember? You were out the same times as me, and with no witnesses, I'll be bound. And anyway, if anything, there's more evidence leading to you than to me. What? How do you make that out? That tarpaulin. The ground sheet that I threw around Jusie when I carried her out to the lime pit. It was yours. Remember you always said you'd had it since camping in the sixth grade? It's got your name on it. It's been lying with the camping gear since our last fishing trip. I just grabbed it from the shed when I needed something large and waterproof.
2: But you buried it in the lime pit. You said so. You said you threw her in the lime pit. I distinctly remember.
1: Yes, but I took it off her before I threw her in. Why? Why would you do such a thing? I don't know. I just did. I wasn't thinking straight. I guess I knew it wasn't mine and I was going to give it back
2: to you. You were going to give me back. "'My tarpaulin had been wrapped around a dead prostitute. "'All right. So what did you do with it?'
1: "'I hid it, that's what. I hid it somewhere near. "'It was too dirty and muddy to put into the car, "'so I put it somewhere safe until I could go back for it. "'And I'm not telling you where. "'So think about it, Mr. Holier-than-thou, "'before you go ringing the police and shopping me. "'Just remember, you're right in this up to your neck.'
0: "'The two men stood and stared at each other with loathing and fear.' each trapped with the other. Peter was the first to regain his composure as he walked over to the French windows, stooping to pick up drying flakes of mud from the doormat as he left.
1: I guess we'd best get on and do a bit of house-cleaning up before we pick up the girls from the station, eh? I'll tell you what, why don't you continue clearing up in here and I'll just go down and burn off the rubbish in the incinerator. Maybe I'll pour in a little kerosene, just to make sure there's a good blaze. After all, it's been raining pretty hard and... We don't want any smoke without fire, hey buddy?
0: You have been listening to The Hand, written by Brianda Cross and dramatised by John Cross and Denzel Reader.